Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. Imagine that you are 47 years old, fit and well, living in a lovely home. The children have nearly grown up with everything to look forward to. And then one day you're diagnosed with metastatic cancer. Leslie Kailani Glenn was exactly such a person. And this is her story. You're very welcome to the show, Leslie. We're so pleased to be speaking with you today. And I understand that you are living with metastatic breast cancer. But before we come to talk about that, tell us about Leslie before she became ill. Who was she? What was she doing? How was life unfolding? Yeah, so before I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I would say that I was probably living um, my my dream. I have three amazing children and one had had gone off on his own. The other two were teenagers still in the house. I had started a nonprofit. That was really something that I had dreamed about for so very long, using therapeutic art within the prison systems in California and living in the big house and involved in all of my kids' activities and just having a plan and moving forward and one day retiring and just living a a great life. It sounds like you were living the dream, as you say, and things couldn't be better. Exactly. Yeah, things were great. So I had always, I would say that before cancer, doing everything that I thought was right and eating well and exercising. I was probably in the best shape of my life and just kind of following along and just not even thinking about. There was no health crises in our family. And then all of a sudden going to my screenings, I was 47 at the time and had just had a mammogram a year before and it was clear. And all of a sudden I found a lump. So it was something that I found and everything just kind of from the moment I found the lump to the moment that I called my primary care physician, everything just snowballed from there. And it was just one thing after another. And from the time that I called my primary care physician to the time that I was diagnosed with breast cancer the day before Thanksgiving in 2012, It was probably a matter of three weeks. Did you have an inkling at that time what was going on? You'd had a clear mammogram and now you found a lump. Now, a lump is never a good thing. But what what were your thoughts at the time? What, What were your ideas about what was going to happen next? I can honestly say that at first I was like, oh, it just, it, it can't be cancer. But then I thought to myself, well, why can't it be? If it happens to other people, why can't that happen to me as well? And, you know, they always say that you kind of know when something has happened. And just by the look of my primary physician's face when he felt it, and I knew that, okay, this is probably not a good thing. But of course, you are never ready for those words, I am sorry, but you have cancer. Nothing can ever prepare you for something like that. And fortunately, I knew that if I was going to get this diagnosis, that I needed other people in the room with me 
to be able to listen further. So I had my very best friend with me and my husband. And sure enough, as soon as the doctor said, I'm sorry, but you do have breast cancer. From there, it was, I just saw their mouths moving. I did not hear anything after that. Yes, the shock is always something you're not expecting, is it really? Did you imagine what it would be like for you when that happened or before that happened? No, not at all. I didn't think about the emotion. I would say that I really felt like I had an out-of-body experience. And so everything that happened to me from the time of diagnosis to getting all my scans to putting the treatment plan in place, I felt like I was watching somebody else's life. And it's like, okay, that's happening to her. It's not happening to me, but yet I'm the one that's going through all of this. And I kind of put it in my mind that, okay, I'm going to give you, at that time, they had diagnosed me with early stage 2B. And the oncolo- my oncologist at the time just said, give me eight months and I'll get you back to where you were. You can go back to your regular life, which now I find kind of funny. And so I, I had that in my head. I was like, okay, eight months. I just have to get through the next eight months. All right. And I had all my scans shortly after that. They do the full MRI and the PET scans and all of that. And they had found hotspots in my body. So knowing what I know now, I was, I was de novo metastatic breast cancer. I had de novo metastatic breast cancer, but it took a good six months to find someone that was willing to biopsy my largest hotspot, which was in my shoulder, in my acromium, because they were afraid I was going to lose use of my arm. So by the time we found an orthopedic surgeon to do that, it was six months down the road. So I was officially diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer to my bones in May of 2013. Mm. What happened next? Well, what happened next is I couldn't believe that this was actually happening to me. I did absolutely at that point in time, I became my own advocate, which was really interesting because I've always been an advocate for everyone else. And now it was my time to advocate for myself. And it was a new experience of being able to really speak up for myself. And I got a second opinion. I decided that I wasn't going to do this treatment, but I would do this treatment because then I just started researching everything. And I would say that's probably not for everyone, but I know who I am and I know how to take the things that are good for me and kind of weed those things out. And so I really, from then on, I have guided in the past almost eight years of my treatment, the way that Leslie wants to live her life based on quality of life. I find this intriguing because you're in the care of clinicians who've made the diagnosis, who've offered you treatment, and yet here you are as a patient advocating for yourself. I don't understand. Why did you feel that you needed to do more? Well, for me, it was my first line of treatment was chemo. And I was anemic before I even started chemo. 
And so my neutrophil counts, once I started chemo, basically plummeted. And I ended up with full-blown sepsis in the, in the hospital for almost a month. And then at that time, it was when I was in the hospital and almost lost my life because of the sepsis that they couldn't control that I just, uh, I would say I had an epiphany just watching my heart monitor and saying, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And coming out of that and then really advocating for myself because they wanted me to go right back onto chemo. I said, nope, there's got to be another way. And actually finding that other way by pushing for a second opinion and figuring out, okay, what do metastatic breast cancer patients do? What are the options out there back in 2013? And thankfully, my second opinion doctor was willing to listen and took everything that I said because it was, I was the one that had to live with it for the rest of my life. And she was on the same page with me. It was really quite amazing, actually. Amazing. And yet, probably you felt quite concerned that you had an expert opinion and now you had to have a second one. And where, where to from there? How, how, did you, how did you regain trust in the system once that happened? My uh, second opinion doctors, it wasn't just one oncologist. It was a team of doctors. And every time I went in to see my doctors in my new clinic, I mean, everyone was there with me. The surgeon was there. The oncology nurse was there, the medical oncologist. And we all had an open conversation about what was next for me. And if I didn't understand something, then they would explain it. And if I still didn't understand, they would draw diagrams on the whiteboard for me so that I was able to understand everything that was presented. But ultimately, they left the decisions up to me. It wasn't, you know, they recommended things, but they were like, but Leslie, this is your life. How do you want to live it? And then, you know, they would talk to my husband. What do you feel about this? And it was from that type of inclusiveness that they really included my opinion and seeing me as more than just a file name or in the medical community, your birth date. I don't know how many times we say our birth date over and over again. I was Leslie Kailani Glenn. I wasn't my birth date. I was a human being with a life. And you found the team that was right for you. Yes. I love how you describe it, that you were the center of the problem, as it were, that they were dealing with. And you were the one who was going to make the call which direction the team was going to pivot, not whose ego was highest in the room and who was going to drive it in the direction they wanted to go. That's important. For a lot of other people, they might want to leave it to somebody else and say, Uh you decide. What do you think is the right thing to do in that situation? If you are organizing healthcare for somebody in this situation, how will you know this person wants to know and that person doesn't? That's a really good question. I can only speak for myself knowing the personality that I have. And as I have mentored other women that have been diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, 
I have always, I never tell anybody what they should be doing, but offering them suggestions or how do you feel about this? I know that the first thing I will tell women that I mentor is do not go on Dr. Google because (laughs) you will have yourself dead in about a week. (laughs) And a lot of them have come back and said, thank you so much for telling me to not get on Google without really knowing exactly what is happening within my body because cancer is very unique for everyone. So letting them know that they can, they can advocate for themselves. They can ask the questions. And if a medical practitioner doesn't want to hear it, then maybe you need to seek somebody else that will actually want to listen and hear your opinion on things. Looking back, I wish that someone would have told me, because of your past history of anemia, going into chemo that is going to destroy your immune system, this could pose some kind of a problem down the line. But no one brought that up to me. Because then I may I may have chosen to go on to the Nupagen shots before I went on chemo, instead of waiting till afterwards when I had no immune system. So it's, it's knowing your history beforehand and bringing somebody else in to also ask the questions if you're feeling intimidated or I don't know if I can ask this. Find your most assertive friend out there to bring in with you. We hear this from so many of our guests who, who are on a similar journey about the need for healthcare to become a partnership between patients and their doctors and getting that right, where traditionally it has been a very one-way street. I'm the doctor in the white coat. You do what I tell you. As uh, Kimberly Richardson says, you know, her doctor once said to her, eat your broccoli, which is a lovely phrase. If you're listening, Kimberly, thank you very much for that. Eat your broccoli. However, It isn't about that, really. It is about forging partnerships and getting that right, because these are difficult times where there is no certainty. We can't be sure that this treatment or that treatment is going to give you the result that you want. So you're sharing this uncertainty, which in other circumstances you were sparing the patient because you were saying, do this, eat your broccoli and you'll get better. Whereas Mm -hmm. the reality is, as you know, Leslie, no treatments guaranteed, no treatments guaranteed to, to give you the cure that you want that we all want. So forging that relationship is particularly important. And I think you're uniquely placed in saying, how do we do that? How do we do that respectfully? How do we do that without making somebody feel they're totally at sea with this thing that's going to, at any point, come over the top of them and wash them over? Right. Yes, I I totally agree. And that was after a year of getting myself better It literally took me a good year to get up to where I just felt like myself again. And I took what I call my one-year sabbatical. So I stopped everything. I Well, unfortunately, I had to close down my nonprofit because I just wasn't able to keep up with all of the running around and the networking and meetings and all of that. So that was kind of forced upon me because of my diagnosis. But then I decided I don't want this large house anymore because it's just a pain to clean. So we sold the large house. (laughs) We moved down to the beach. I literally, I got off of social media for a year 
I quit all of my volunteer work and I sat at the at, at our beach house and I thought, who in the world am I? I have been a mom. I've been a taxi driver. I'm a daughter. I've been an advocate for people. I'm a wife. But who am I really? And I dug deep for a year to figure out who am I at my core. I decided that I was going to challenge myself at that time. And my husband had taken me to a national park, which is called Yosemite here in Northern California. And I was watching people come off of what they call the John Muir Trail. We were just doing this one mile hike and I couldn't even take 14 steps without getting winded. And so we sat down to rest and I was watching all these backpackers come off the trail and I'm like, I'm going to do that. That is what I want to do. So I went back home and just decided, I said, what is the biggest thing that I can do? And I decided to train to climb Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain here in the contiguous United States. I talked two friends into doing it with me. We trained for eight months and we did it. We summited that mountain, which is 14,500 feet above sea level. And for me, it was hard work training for it. Was, it is not a simple trail. And when I got to the top and I stood at the summit, I just broke down in tears because this was for me. It wasn't, I didn't do this for my husband. I didn't do this for my kid. I didn't do this for an organization. I did this for me. And it really empowered me to realize that, oh my goodness, I am more resilient than I thought. Now, how can I take this, what I've experienced, down the mountain and start advocating for others with metastatic breast cancer? And that's when my whole journey in advocating within the metastatic breast cancer arena started, was from that climb back in um, 2015. You, <laughs> you found within you the, the strength to go on, and not just to go on, but to go on to contribute to others who are in your position. And I'm sure all of our listeners would be extraordinarily proud of what you've done there. So where to from here? What happens next? We've talked about the past. What about the future? Oh, I've been advocating within the NBC community for what the past five and a half years now. And I've done everything from just sharing my story to helping to co-found an annual fundraiser that's called Climb for a Cure. And we raise money for research. I started dabbling in the research arena. Like, how can I advocate for where research monies are going? So I started doing that. And then this past year, I was selected to be on an ambassador, the Elevate ambassador, the same as what Kim Richardson was on last year. And so I was selected to be part of the NCCS ambassador program. When you do the application, you have to, okay, what is your project going to be? And so this was pre-COVID. So my husband and I had just moved to Southern Oregon out of Southern California. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity for me to kind of get to know the cancer community within my own area, see what they're doing, what kind of survivorship programs they're doing. But then COVID hit and I'm like, okay, well, nobody's meeting in person anymore. It's all 
telehealth and online, I thought to myself, what in the world am I going to do now? I had no idea what type of a project I wanted to do. But as it is, as I say, the universe will always align with when we toss up these questions that I was listening to a conference and there was a doctor on it, Dr. Thomas Smith, who is a medical oncologist as well as a stage four prostate cancer survivor. He spoke about the survivorship programs that are out there with none of them being targeted towards those with metastatic disease. And I had an aha moment and I thought, that is it. That is what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer this question. Why are there not survivorship programs for those of us with metastatic disease? So they might as well have like, I feel like I've been in a drag race since then because I've just been flying, putting this project together that I am so driven about and so passionate about and wanting to answer that question that it's now it's time for there to be a survivorship type platform for those of us with metastatic disease. and. I will say that at first I thought I was going to hit all metastatic cancers. And I thought, no, that's way too big. Why don't I go with just the community that I know, the metastatic breast cancer community? I know that community. I've been in it for eight years. So let me start there. So I've named my project Project Life, and it is living in full empowerment. It is a survivorship initiative for those living with metastatic breast cancer. It's been a real learning and a growing experience as I've done my research on it and as I've talked to medical experts and talked to other patients. I'm super excited about it. I wish I could just launch it tomorrow, but it's going to take some time. But I'm just looking forward to being able to answer this gap that's been unanswered for so long because there is nothing out there for the metastatic patient as far as a holistic and integrative type therapeutic place where they can go to not only find physical resources, but emotional resources as well. And I also want to include the caregivers in there because so much of the time they get left out of the conversation when we're just focused on the patient, we forget that the kids that have to deal with their mom or their dad with this diagnosis. And what does that look like for them? Or the husband that painstakingly takes his wife to every single treatment. And I listened to someone recently that is a co-survivor. Her husband has glioblastoma and they offered him a massage and he turned around and said, no, I'm not the one that needs it. My wife needs it. So they need just as much of a place to go find support as well. So I'm hoping that this will, this initiative will be able to answer those gaps. I'm just in awe of what you're doing. I was just thinking to myself, somebody who's climbed 14,000 feet, an ambassador who's walked the walk and is now working to help us, the medical profession, do a better job with the patients that we love, the patients that we got into this profession to serve, that's astonishing. 
<laughs> Thank you. I, I, you know, I feel like I live it and I have brought other people alongside me that want to help me to forge, navigate this path and feel like the best people that can build something like this is those of us that live it on a daily basis because we know it. And God bless the medical community. I've had so many people reach out, so many doctors reach out. I want to be a part of this. What can I do? And appreciate all the support and know that it's there, which makes me feel great knowing that I am being supported by the medical community as well. It's just, it's more, it's empowering to know that a patient is being backed and the medical community is saying, yes. This is some place that we haven't been very good at and we don't know how to answer. So why not let someone who knows bridge that gap or give us the feedback that we need in order to provide survivorship services for the metastatic patient? You're right. I can't think of anybody who's better qualified, who has more insight into the situation than you and people like you who are going through this and who we would love to see continue to thrive and continue to contribute in the way that you're doing. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> the Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com. <laughs>